Our scripture reading is from John chapter 15. I invite you to open up your Bibles to that passage. Today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the Sunday then that we especially remember the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And here in John chapter 15 and 16, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about the work of the promised Holy Spirit. John 15, starting at verse 18 into chapter 16. John 15, 18, hear the word of the Lord, the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world... Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. The servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now... They have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I've said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I do not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now, I am going to Him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said that He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. A little while, 
and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. The portion of Scripture that we'll look at a bit more closely this morning is from John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. And we'll read those words again just to be a little more familiar with them. John 16 again, this time, verse 7. There our Lord Jesus Christ says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away... The Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send Him to you. And when He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in Me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see Me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. We'll sing after the sermon about the Holy Spirit and to the Holy Spirit from hymn 47, 1, 2, 4, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is the best thing that you have ever been given? Maybe it's a little baby brother. Maybe someone bought you something very expensive, like a wedding ring. Maybe you got something from one of your children or one of your grandchildren. You know, it wasn't a work of art, but it showed you their love. In it, they were giving you their their heart. We have great gifts in salvation in Jesus Christ. To be given the forgiveness of all your sins. To know the love of God. To be given eternal life. And then there's the gift that we get to remember today. The greatest gift of all. That the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. Do we realize What an awesome and amazing thing that is. Gifts tell you a lot about the giver. Here in the giving of the Holy Spirit, we see two things very clearly about our Savior. First of all, we see what glory, what riches, what power our Savior has. What a king He is. If He can do this, give us the Spirit of God. No king has treasure like our Savior. Secondly, in this, we also see the greatness of His love. Who are we, after all, to receive something like that, like the Holy Spirit? But our Lord Jesus Christ loves us this greatly. And He wants us, who are so poor, to be so rich. In the Word of God, we learn... The Holy Spirit Himself is the giver of many things. That He is the one who gives life and breath to all things. He is the one who causes the the fields to be green, the trees to leaf out. 
He is the one in the beginning. We see him in Genesis hovering over the waters. The one who's going to be active, bringing life in its abundance to this world. And now, through the work of Jesus Christ, the great giver himself is given in a very rich way. The Holy Spirit has always been active in the lives of believers. But because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, you have this pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That is a new thing that we in the New Testament get to enjoy. In fact, if we singled out one thing about this new age, this new covenant that we have in Jesus Christ, it's this. The great blessing of the new covenant is the Spirit. We are those who are privileged to live in the age of the Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit is active in ways that He was not before. Where the Holy Spirit is confronting the whole world with God's work in Jesus Christ. Without the Holy Spirit, we would be the most pitiful of people. We would have a Savior with abundant riches, but we would not even have the hands to be able to stretch out to receive them because we would be clutching our hands to ourselves. We would be like people with a library full of the most wonderful books, but yet unable, even unwilling to read. I put the sermon then under that theme. Pentecost, the King's greatest gift. And we'll look at two things, the promise and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you were reading through the Gospel of John, you would notice that in our reading and in our text, there are some very large themes that also play a role here. In the Gospel of John, it begins, The Word became flesh. God sends His Son into the world, but... Right away, even in chapter 1, how is that received? Is that received with open arms? Men loved the darkness and hated the light. In our scripture reading too, if you recall, the Lord Jesus Christ warns His disciples, if they hated me, they will hate you. The religious leaders of the day of all people, conspire to put Christ to death. And that will also be something that the disciples, that we as the Christian church, need to be prepared to experience. So the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think that he is offering service to God. John 16, 2. The Gospel of John, in fact, is structured like Sort of like a, a big trial. There's witnesses and there's evidence. And, and the central question of this trial is, yeah, who is Jesus? Is he what he says he is? Is he really the great work of God? And at first Christ appears to be on trial before the world. But then there's also a switch in this gospel that Christ makes it clear Actually, the trial is going the other way. There's no question about who he is. 
Somehow through him, it is like the world is on trial before God. But now, in the words that we read, Christ makes it clear he is going away. Then there's that big question. If he is going to go away, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to his work in this world? Is his impact going to be lessened? So much in this world is just sort of a flash in the pan. We as sinners are very good at being hard-hearted or deaf when it comes to the things of God. Is God's work in Jesus Christ going to fall on deaf ears? Well, then we have our text. Christ promises the disciples a helper. They are distressed when he speaks about leaving, but he tells them, it is to your advantage that I'm going away. By the way, the word going away, or that phrase going away here in the Gospel of John, it includes that he is going away to the cross, which he will endure alone, but it also includes his ascension. Those two things are sort of melded in the Gospel of John. Because the Lord Jesus Christ goes to a cross, because he ascends into heaven, because he goes away, he is going to be able to give them the greatest gift ever. The Spirit. Who will help them? And that Greek word, you might even know the Greek word for helper here, it's the word paraclete. We have it in one of our hymns, even. Other translations have that Christ will send them a comforter or a counselor. I sort of like the ESV here. That it just simply says that Christ will send them a helper. That's a little bit more neutral. Then you sort of have to figure out, hmm, what is he going to help the disciples with? And it's true that he's not quite going to be a comforter. And that he's going to comfort the disciples. Maybe only if you could literally take that word comfort, which means to strengthen That is what the Holy Spirit is going to do. He is going to strengthen the disciples as they stand in this world as witnesses to God's work in Jesus Christ and preach and proclaim that to all. It is as Christ says a few verses later, The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth. What truth is the question here? And if you read these verses, it becomes very clear. He is the one who will reveal to the world the truth about Jesus Christ. The significance of His death, His resurrection, and His ascension. What do you and I, after all, need? I find that if we often start with ourselves, what we sort of need, like like our own thoughts about ourselves, then the Holy Spirit, when we think about Him, 
He often becomes the one who can give us what we want. For instance, we might think, well, we need healing from a particular disease. If that sort of becomes first and foremost in your mind, your sicknesses and illnesses, then the work of the Holy Spirit, you, you see this in certain uh, churches or you know, faith healing groups, then the work of the Holy Spirit is all about giving you a cure for your incurable illness. In the broader Christian world, there's often been a belief and a desire for a second blessing. And there is even something that people talk about in other church circles. The second blessing of the Holy Spirit. The idea is that, first of all, you're sort of a junior Christian. You're, you're, you're not an unbeliever, but you still need to grow up. Well, you can be baptized in the Spirit. You can have a second baptism and sort of move up to the next level. But that scheme is completely contrary to the Word of God. That sort of two-stage idea of the Christian life only grows up in a very lukewarm Christian world. Where first of all, there's a lot of nominal Christianity, but people are not very serious about things. And then there's sort of a need for the baptism of the Spirit. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. In 13, verse 13, there can be all this sort of strange fascination with the weird and the exotic when it comes to the Holy Spirit. You know, that He supposedly makes you speak in tongues or makes you fall down flat or that sort of thing. But it all misses something huge. And the key point of our text In John 15 and 16, the Lord Jesus Christ makes it very clear. The Holy Spirit is given so that our eyes are opened up to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has a a spotlight ministry. Someone once said, the Holy Spirit is given so that we realize in Jesus Christ, God has come into this world to save us, to redeem us. Will you confess with me? This is what we need to know. We need to know the God who has come into this world. We need to see the glory of God. And the Holy Spirit's joy is to tell us, deep down in our hearts, in Jesus Christ, you will see that glory of God that you so desire, that you so need. In Him, you see the power and the love of God for sinners like yourself. Look at how our Savior puts it in our text. Verse 8, He will convict the world. That language is very startling. The Jews in those days knew about the coming of the Holy Spirit. But they did not phrase it like this. That the Holy Spirit would convict the world. 
They sort of thought the Holy Spirit would merely bring like a, a spring after a long winter. No, He will convict the world, says Christ. Convict. Ah, because we can be so blind, so hard-hearted. The disciples too, they begin to see the need for the convicting of the Holy Spirit. They see there's hostility to Jesus Christ. There is a devil, the father of lies. They see the very people of God around them filled with such refusal to grapple with Jesus Christ, what he says and what he does. It is over against all of this that Jesus Christ promises to send the Spirit of truth so that the disciples will have an aid as they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ so that the gospel of Jesus Christ would spread throughout this hostile world. Well, that takes us to our second point. What will the Spirit then do? He will convict. He will show error. He will expose guilt in three areas, Christ says. With regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Let's look at each of those three things. First of all, the Spirit will convict the world with regards to sin. How so? What does that look like? Which sin? Well, if you continue to read there at verse 9, Christ explains these things. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So here's something that you need to see. As the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, all those three things are understood and seen in the light of Christ. That's what the Spirit is going to demonstrate. That you can see the reality of sin. Because of the way people relate to Jesus Christ. There is righteousness because of Jesus Christ. There is judgment on the world because of the cross of Christ. So again, look at this first one. He will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Would you not agree with me that our world around us, the default nature of human beings is to be completely ignorant about sin. We are very good at minimizing sin. Even though we have a saying, to err is human, yeah, but only to err. We'd like to generally think that we are all pretty good people. He will convict the world with regards to sin, because they do not believe in me. Look at Jesus Christ and how he is treated 
Look at how he is viewed. There is such hatred and hostility to him. And their sin is exposed. Against the backdrop of God's work in Jesus Christ, God's great love in Jesus Christ, there we do begin to see by the power of the Spirit the depths of our own hatred, the depths of our own depravity. As the Spirit brings the world to see Jesus Christ, the world will also see how evil it is. That all its easy talk is so superficial. Secondly, the Spirit will convict the world with regards to righteousness. Here again, the world, all of us by nature, we are so blind. Our world thinks we can all be pretty good. Maybe not perfect, but pretty good. But look at how the world treats Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, in already in the first century, he was called the spawn of Satan. Even when he does nothing but show love and goodness, he is put to death as a blasphemer. But the Lord Jesus Christ was vindicated in his going away. When Christ ascends into heaven, part of the ascension is also God's verdict upon Jesus Christ. That though the world thought he was was evil, really, heaven received him with joy. It is then the joy and the work of the Holy Spirit To reveal to the world that righteousness is only found in Jesus Christ. The world around us, it doesn't speak this language, but the world around us is trying to find righteousness. Like people are trying to be good people. But the world's idea of righteousness is, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle, that sort of thing. Learn to be tolerant. Learn to accept other people because of those, their diff- even though they have differences. If you do those things, you'll be righteous, says our world. But the Holy Spirit's joy is to show the world that righteousness is only found in Jesus Christ. Only in Him is there one who loved God with His heart, soul, and mind, and His neighbor as Himself. Third, the Spirit will convict the world with regards to judgment. Something happened at the cross of Jesus Christ. 
And that is that the whole world was judged. The power of sin and Satan was broken. The kingdom of Satan was broken. At the cross of Jesus Christ, a new kingdom, the kingdom of God, entered this world. Do you know what the cross of Jesus Christ means? When you and I look at the cross of Jesus Christ, we should see more than just the forgiveness of our sins. We should see that the whole world around us really now has an expiry date. The world is really under judgment, even though at the cross Christ was under judgment. The cross of Jesus Christ means the devil has lost his claim upon this world. And it now is in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. In conclusion, let's zoom out here. First of all, these words here in John 16 are words for the apostles. The apostles are going to have a very daunting task. Who dares challenge the world? Who dares challenge its claims to have no sin, to be righteous, to be fine, and to have a future? But the apostles were not left alone. Christ pours out the Spirit, the Helper, so that the disciples, they can be like that little boy in the story of the Emperor's new clothes. You know that he doesn't have any clothes at all. The disciples will be like that, exposing that the world has sin, has no righteousness. And does not have a future. And we too are given the same spirit. That means that if you have the Holy Spirit. And every believer has a Holy Spirit. You cannot help be a prophet. As we confess in Lord's Day 12. Of the Heidelberg Catechism. We are called to be prophets in this world. Exposing, challenging, confronting our world. There is often a lot of confusion about what the church of Jesus Christ should be and should do. Sometimes churches, they turn into agents of sort of social action, that sort of thing. Let us focus on the Holy Spirit and keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Let us get in line with the Spirit's desires and goals. And that means if you are a Spirit-filled Christian, you have to speak and demonstrate in your life Jesus Christ. The Spirit-filled Christian is filled with Christ, models Christ, speaks about Christ. The Spirit-filled Christian also has a spotlight ministry. 
the Spirit-filled Christian shows that next to Jesus Christ, the world is nothing but darkness. That in Jesus Christ alone is their righteousness. And that the world, regardless of what it says about itself, is under judgment. And that it will, every person will face Jesus Christ to receive their salvation or their judgment. The Spirit-filled Christian is a witness. The Jehovah's Witnesses, they have that right at any point. But they miss it. We are not witnesses of Jehovah so much. Although we are as well too. But first of all, we are witnesses of Jesus Christ. That in Him, Jehovah God is at work. Amen.